But really what, what the underlying, I think, connection that I, I've had ever since I was a little kid to looking at Michelangelo or looking at Leonardo da Vinci or looking at these artists is that kind of questioning of not only spirituality but questioning of of, of existence that that seems so deep and illuminating. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Lo-Fi Podcast. I'm John Wentz, recording conversations with artists, musicians, and filmmakers from my studio in Paris, France. Hope everybody's doing well today. Uh, in this episode, something a little bit different and really excited to announce. I'm doing a swap cast with my friend Yoshino at Artist Decoded. And this week's guest is painter Stephen Assel. Um, so what Yoshino and I did is I recorded the interview with Stephen Assel about uh, two weeks ago, I think now, and we're both releasing it on our podcast. So you can check him out at artistdecoded.com and everywhere else that you get your podcasts from. As I said, this week's guest is painter Stephen Assel from New York, and I was particularly excited to do this interview because for me, back in art school, Stephen was actually one of my inspirations, one of my art heroes, uh, particularly because of this body of work that he did painting like punk rock kids, goth kids, you know, this subculture, kids of New York. And it was something I hadn't seen at the time. No traditional artists that I had seen were really doing anything like that. So it really stood out to me. Um, so I got to talk to him about how that body of work came about and tons more. We talk about extracting the right vocabulary while creating, um, creating situations of exploration for oneself, the search for finding the right questions to ask, what makes a good teacher, and tons more. Uh, currently, he is in quarantine in New York and he is doing critiques slash teaching over Zoom, which he offers through his Instagram, which I will link in the show notes. And lastly, again, I'd like to thank Artist Decoded for doing the swap cast with me. Make sure and check them out. And from Forum Gallery's website, Stephen Assel was born in New York, New York in 1957. He attended Pratt Institute and presently teaches at the School of Visual Arts in New York. Assel balances naturalism with a romanticism that permeates the figures and surroundings of his paintings and drawings. The focus of his work is the human figure, either individually or in a group, rendered in glowing relief by gentle beams of warm and cool light. Stephen Assel's classical talents are as rare as they are essential to the diverse art world of the 21st century. And without further delay, I hope you enjoy this conversation with painter Stephen Assel. And where are you located now? I'm in Paris. Paris, Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 For the that's time good, being. That's a nice place to be. <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad if you're a painter. That's for yes. sure. <laughs> and how is it there? Is it uh, you're on, on the lockdown there as well? Or? Yeah, we are. We just entered phase two about a week or so ago, which means still I, no museums, which is terrible because yes. right when this started, um, I just came off a load of work. And so I had just planned to like spend a day at the Dorsey and I was going to go see. to the Louvre again. And then literally the next day, was the lockdown. Oh, um, oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, this means for us, phase two is, 
uh, no gatherings. Well, you can't go into restaurants, so they open the terrasse, which you probably know you've been to Paris for. The French is a major thing, so that yes, works. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but still, a lot of things are closed down. I see. How, yeah. how much do you think uh, your painting practice has uh, affected your patients and your patients with this? Well, you know, I think that there's something, uh, I mean, you know, I, I think that with every kind of disadvantage, there are advantages. And uh, uh, it's, the thing is to try to sort of, you know, seek out what, what, um, what those advantages are and make use of them. Um, I mean, having this conversation right now, I wouldn't probably um, otherwise be talking with you. Uh, it'd be in my studio painting right now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but it's, uh, it, 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 I think in, in, in some ways, um, in, in a very um, kind of, uh, um, um, yeah, kind of strange, uh, interesting way in which we're all separated, we're also kind of brought together you know there's there's a there's a kind of um way in which we're communicating with each other i think that has changed uh some for the good some maybe not so much for the good but but i do think that it that there's um kind of a uh, an intimacy that um allows for um the way we speak to each other by virtue of zoom and the online kinds of um you know means in which we we talk to each other now. Um, right. So, um, so having this recording, I, I think in many ways for me, uh, is, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I've only done one other podcast, so this is my second podcast. And, uh, I, I think that there's for me, uh, just a little bit of, um, strangeness to it, but at the same time trying to sort of overcome the, uh, idea that it's, uh, uh kind of, um, an extension of, you know, our, our, our use of technology and that I'd like to think about you actually being there in the room with me instead, you know, is that the same because something I've always taken away from your work and funny enough, your working methods, which I mean, it seems strange to say that they're part and parcel to each other, but they yours are in a different way to me in just that sense of when I've seen, and it's only by virtue of video that I've ever seen you work with a model there seems to be a very different level of intimacy than I've seen with certain artists work. It's, it's almost as if, you know, there's that feel with some artists that it just becomes subject. Mm -hmm. It's just artists and subject. And I think I've even heard you refer to them as maybe even actors or, you know, they become so much more part of the process. So it seems like you're always in this or after certain intimacy with, with people, whether it just be conversation or with mm -hmm. painting. Is that yeah, off? I, well, I, I, um, when you think about it, what, how, a, how, how a director kind of um, directs his actors, you director might have a, have a, a construct, you know, or an idea for, um, for what he wants, you know, from uh, the players, uh, the actors who are playing a role. Uh, but uh, essentially I think that a good, a good director kind of relinquishes some of that direction and allows the actor's influence um, to uh, intervene in the process, and so um, when when you have a have a person or you know another person in the room with you when you're painting, um, there's some of that that goes on. There's there's a bit of of um, interruption that uh, one can embrace in the uh, um, in the idea that you might have originally had. So um, so the 
you know, I mean, like, you know, we start a picture very often with kind of a, a concept or a, a feeling for what we want. And we have, have a picture of it in our mind um, with regard to what we want. But, um, but sometimes it's good to sort of like let some of that go and uh, still make use of it in terms of the sort of overall, you know, thread of a picture, but, but to allow some interruption, to allow some surprise in the dynamic of, of a picture's development. And, and a lot of that for me comes from the uh, direct human connection with the person who's sitting for me. And that, that, you know, no matter who that person is, if it's somebody that I'm very close to, or if it's someone who, um, you know, I, I don't know at all, uh, there's, uh, there's a, uh, there's a kind of an energy and, uh, a, a, a unraveling of, of, of oneself. Um, and, and I think that we do, we do in many ways, you know, paint ourselves when we're painting others, um, but I do think that others, the presence of another, uh, also influences how we um, kind of direct ourselves at what it is that we see, and um, and it's a it's an interesting kind of triangulation that develops between the person sitting for you and how you are, what you are, and and what the picture becomes. And I think that it's in that rhythm of allowing you know, the, uh, uh, the sitter very often to uh, show something or reveal something or to um, surprise you in some ways. And, and, and one can say that's also part of the actual experience painting, that the uh, time itself that interrupts the process, that the layering of, of sequence and movement can influence um, the direction that a picture can go. Um, so, uh, so I, I, I like to sort of allow for change. Um, and, and it's in that, in those moments of change that I can select and, uh, decide what, what essentially becomes meaningful in a picture. And, and one other thing too, is that selection or the idea of selecting is both objective and also subjective. So there's, um, inner kind of dictionary that I like to, like to say kind of a, a visual vocabulary that we develop as observers that 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 becomes um, kind of internalized and it's it's almost like the the recording that has to do with our own history our own um, understanding of things our own awareness of, of visual aesthetics you know and what we like and what we dislike what appeals to us what, what doesn't and so we're reaching inward in uh, selectively as well as reaching outward selectively to find kind of an equilibrium or a balance um, with regard to how we express what it is that matters to us. If that makes any sense. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I'm one in, immediately that comes to mind is then when you go from let's say like a single figure drawing to a large, I mean, you've had, you have pieces over eight feet, multi-figure, how to go about that kind of relinquishing? Cause then is that what you're saying? Like you may go in and say, it's a large eight foot multi-figure painting. You have your idea pretty set out, but you're still allowing room for change. Absolutely. That? Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, a lot of times I, I mean, for my students, I, I try to, I, I talk about like I travel been traveling more or less, uh, 
around the country and across the globe um, quite a bit lately. And um, I mean, now, uh, now that we, you know, I'm teaching uh, uh, more and more uh, on zoom and I, and I've been doing uh, uh, individual critiques with uh, artists from, uh, from this country, but also all around the world now, uh, which I wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, So it's interesting to see other artists working in other areas, other regions, and be able to sort of, provide those artists with advice and, and introspection um, that they could take, you know, with regard to how they see their own work and how they think about their work. So I, 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 it's, it's an interesting opportunity for, for people to be able to sort of like connect with other artists now uh, that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, so these individual critiques are sort of an example of how I, I, I'm connecting with uh, other people in their, their worlds and, and what they think and, what I, what I, what my thoughts can, can provide and help them with. But the, the connection that, that I'm trying to sort of make here is that by allowing others to sort of like filter in, like, you know, a good teacher doesn't just provide answers, but is also kind of allowing the students to find the right questions in their work and guiding them in some way to finding those questions, what matters to them. And in the same way, when I have a model in my studio or I'm working with or without a model uh, or I, I'm developing a picture, I'm, I'm trying to find the right questions, you know, trying to ask the right questions of, of, of myself, um, what it is that becomes important. So I might have an idea ahead of time that's strategic with regard to what I want, but it's really the, um, the experience itself that motivates um, uh, uh, change and motivates a renewal of what some of the things that we think we want might not really be exactly what we want. You know, um, mm-hmm. often I, I tell my students that when making a drawing, for example, like, you know, when you, I, I, you can, we can draw sort of like from the whole part, from the part to the whole, how we think about the particular in relation to the larger picture at hand or the the, the emphasis of what it is that we want, you know, in, 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 in the, in the big picture of things or in the big, you know, the, the largeness of what it is. Um, and, and I, and I tell them, well, you know, it's kind of like, like taking a, a trip cross country. You know, you, you have an itinerary, you have a plan, you map, mapped out where you want to go, uh, what you think those locations might be for, um, you know, with regard to where your final de- destination will and what that final destination would look like and, and become. And so one sort of like travels, you know, from New York, let's say, to you know, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and so forth, till you get to maybe your ultimate destination, California. And you, you have this sort of in your mind what it's going to be. But then when, until you actually take the trip, you know, you, you bypass certain areas that are, are not of, of as much interest because you don't know what's, what, what matters until you're there. That's a perfect analogy. Yeah. You know, so, so once you, once you're in the, in the journey, you know, then we're, we're selecting, you know, you're, you're taking and, and, and discarding, you know, emphasizing, deemphasizing, you know, what, and, and a lot of that is, like I said, is kind of connected to, the internal language that we we've established by virtue of what we know, you know, our, our dictionary, you, know, you could say, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and it's also 
open to a uh, surprise, the surprise of the experience itself. Um, so it's in that sort of balance of the two that I think that we, we could, we, we kind of like, I'm always looking for a surprise to myself, you know, like something that I, I could, I found that I found that I'd never seen or done before that in, in, in my painting. Um, and, uh, how something sort of like flies through the air, that bit of paint hits the surface a certain way. And it's like, wow. Okay. You know, it's like, like flying, flying through the air and, and hitting, hitting that surface where you want it to go, you know, but, but it, you know, <laughs> and, it, and it's like, you know, and it's like, wow, there it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's not so predictable, you know, it's just sort of like, you want to be able to sort of incite that, that, that element of unpredictability, um, in the, in the process, you know, and that, that kind of makes it, makes it like what makes something feel alive, I think, and makes experience alive. If that makes any sense. No, it does. And actually, the, the way you ended that, it reminded me of, um, what's that book? Uh, the Practice of Science and Drawing by Harold Speed. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with that book. And mm-hmm. um, he does, he talks about that in, in a roundabout way, about always avoiding perfection and kind of creating those situations of exploration for yourself. And mm-hmm. kind of keep it fresh because that communicates to the viewer, mm-hmm. you know, in all respects. Mm-hmm. But how much of that for you is intellectual versus emotional or like a gut instinct? Well, I think that the, um, the kind of like the, the, like when we talk about kind of an internalized, like visual vocabulary, you know, how that vocabulary, you know, the more, you know, I, I mean, technically I think that the, the more we uh, learn the, the broader the, the dictionary becomes, you know, the, right. the, the more words, the more understanding, the, the, the more use of terms, uh, become uh, broader and broader and broader, you know. But uh, but you know, I tell my students, you know, like when you're when you're drawing and painting, you're not copying that dictionary. You know, right. you have to choose the right words to make poetry out of it. You know, so even though your di- the, the the language can be very broad and the knowledge can be very broad, you, know, you can have a very strong, you know, like very very dramatic range of of, of light and shadow or um, tone and pitch you know but but it's it's it, it's the right it's, it's taking extracting you know the the right combination of of words from what we what we know in in accordance with what we see that in my in, in my thinking um makes makes something not unique but also united in in, in its feeling uh but but makes it like poetry you know, makes it. Mm-hmm. You want that poetical, that that sem- that semblance of of things that don't feel like they should belong. Belong. The thing that happens, the spark that happens when when we um, feel something and know something from our um, experiences that are contained within our own mind's eye, and the experiences that are happening you know, simultaneous to that, um, sequentially in the moment. That I think that 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 when they collide when those things kind of collide that you, one has to sort of like find the right pitch. And, and it, and I think that for me, it's, it's about that rhythm, the finding that rhythm, you know, that, that thread of, of connectedness, um, that, um, that becomes a very exciting thing. So in many ways, like a painting, you know, a painting is not so much 
now this is my own, you know, my own personal um, feeling is that it's not so much the end product, but it's really kind of the the experience itself that um, in many ways becomes the performance, you know, the, the action, the, 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 the moment that in my mind overrides uh, what we get, what the outcome. And um, even though the outcome might in many ways be a remnant of that and show something of that, whether it's successful or not successful, it's uh, for me, the, the excitement comes in the, uh, in, in, in the action. And it's uh, the action itself that, uh, that the meaning uh, is uh, truly uh, materialized, not mm-hmm. in the, uh, not in the relic of that or in the uh, subsequent uh, object that we make. I don't know if that makes any sense. I mean, it sounds a little bit, mm-hmm. a little bit, um, Sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's a great explanation. And it makes, I wondered, as you're saying that, I love the way you talk about drawing or start in general being, you know, this process of selection and exaggeration and what it is you're trying to express. When was it for you that you made that transition? Because they feel most of us starting out drawing, it's this act of, of mimetics where we're just, you know, we're learning and we're copying as kids or whenever it is. Mm-hmm. And then there comes a time, maybe it's a good teacher, maybe it's, I don't know, something you saw where you mm-hmm. start to let go and start to express and you learn that, that, that quality. Do you, do you recall when that transition was for you? Um, well, I, I've always, I, I mean, it's very hard to remember, go back, but I do, re, I do, I, you know, in terms of like, well, you know, when, how I think about drawing and when, when it, when I start to draw and what I think, you know, what, where it kind of um, shaped my, I mean, I think that drawing in many ways is, is kind of like, every, you know, it, it's where it all begins. Uh, when we're children um, and how we uh, uh, think about things, you know, when we're children, I think that there's something that something we all share, you know, as, as kids, when we start to draw, I, I, I think that copying is something that, you know, kind of like relying on, on what we see by, you know, it has to do a lot with sort of the reaching out for what it is that we love, want, and what we also, um, want to sort of like capture you know it's 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 like capturing something from the outside why do we do that you know why do we why when we're children do we want to draw the cat that we love or our dog or our pet you know or what is it about about that feeling you know that um makes us want to sort of hold it you know and i think as children we feel so powerless and there's an element of, of assuming uh, control uh, as a child uh, by by copying what one sees or by trying to, to give it permanence, you know, um, giving giving something that's impermanent permanence. You know, there's not just control, but there's an element, almost a, a feeling of power in that. And um, and I think that when we if we think back as think back to our own childhood, what that felt like, that, that, that can be a really interesting dynamic in the way we, the way we think about ourselves drawing, you know, what we see. Um, because you, you want to be able to sort of like give the temporal, you know, the thing that's going to move, the thing that's going to change. You want to, you want to hold it forever, you know? And the reason I think we want to hold it forever is because it takes it, it takes a kind of love 
for for the world, for the things that we see that makes us want to do that. You know? And um, and it's it's kind of in that loving of, of things visual that 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 allows for that power, that feeling of power and presence. Um, and I think there's something very uniquely human about that as human beings. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but I think that you know just in terms of like you know developing one's skills, I you know I I, I do I do know that like I, I when I was when I was younger I was taught um, I, I I studied a little bit with uh, Robert Beverly Hale and also with uh, Gustav Rayberger and some that of the uh, some of the um, um, artists that were teaching in New York at the Art Students League um, yeah. in the 1970s when I was a kid, you know. And I, I was never taught to measure. You know, I was never taught to um, literally sit there with calipers and measure everything out. Because I was told that by doing that, you, 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 you know, it becomes a, an impediment to the, uh, to the source of the drawing, you know, to the gesture, to the feeling of, of spontaneity or the, the, the idea that the drawing needs to sort of like start with the living line or the principal line as Delacroix called it. Mm-hmm. The, um, the the energy of the drawing. So to start first with that 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 inner that thread of, of that line, that dominant line of, of, of movement and, and gesture, and then to work your proportions from that. But to work the proportions not by um, measuring, but to work those proportions based on the idea and feeling and um, what becomes more. Uh, again, it, it's selectively important. You know. So, depending on the gesture, depending on the drawing, one would uh, 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 acclimate the uh, or uh, uh, the proportions to that. So, if you no, want, if you yeah, you know, so it, so the expressive quality of the drawing is what matters, not the exact proportion. Right. Even um, with Hale, I, I find you remember. Um, yeah. Well, well, not so much. Hale would Hale would um, was very uh, kind of didactic in his approach. Yeah. Um, you know, he uh, if we were, you know, I mean, I remember as a little kid. Also, Hale was very. I mean, for for a young kid, very hard. You know, very. He was very. Uh, uh, he talked in a this drone like voice and was very kind of very hard to make it exciting. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but I think that what I remember uh, with him was that. You would, you know, he, you would do his drawing. I remember drawing like uh, the model and trying to copy all of the bumps on the back or the muscles without really knowing much about the uh, underlying structure. And uh, um, he would come by and put a piece of tracing paper on your drawing and then really show you, you know, where the bones were and the muscle groupings were. And by understanding what was underneath, uh, you know, you know, a young mind starts, you start to say, Oh my gosh, that makes so much more sense, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and so the knowing, uh, uh, how to see something it, it, it is, is more important than just copying what one sees because knowing gives you sort of the, the way of penetrating the surface, the way of, of seeing, mm. seeing something, um, for what something is in its dimension, as opposed to, just it's it's flatness you know right uh, or or what we what we would see on the surface and and so the idea that you know what what becomes of you know people say like, you know draw what you know not what you see or draw what you see not what you know it, right. it becomes a bit of a of, 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 of a 
semantic issue because it's really a bit of both, you know, because what we see in my mind is what we know and what we know is what we see. But the, 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 the penetrating or the being able to see through something uh, with one's imagination and one's mind's eye and, and the imagination becomes connected to what it is that we, we know about something. So even when we're looking at color or observing color relationships or observing, you know, I mean, I think about color and drawing as being the same, you know, for example, not to separate color from drawing. But even if you're making a drawing in tone or in value, still to see it as color, because it, it's what gives it, it's, it's what takes it away from just the surface. You're able mm-hmm. to see and feel atmosphere that way, even though you're drawing only in tone. But the idea that atmosphere itself, the thickness of the air from one point to another, how that air feels, how it, how, how we want to like move from one spot to another optically. And at the same time, be able to sort of understand how to see through something, you know? Um, I see. So proportion to me is, is a lot of things. It's not, it's not just getting, you know, the right scale of the foot to the, to the, to the knee, to the, to the head, you know, and so forth, or measuring, you know, counting heads down to the foot. I mean, it can be all of that, and it's good to know all of that, but but not to be sort of um, uh, not to, to allow uh, too much of that to uh, inhibit or control the drawing. All right. You did. Um, I remember a quote you had once that was it was an interview, and you were saying, "What I mean by proportion is the way that I think about measurement of shapes and how those shapes as forms are understood in my representation of an image." And what I found fascinating about that is you didn't say anything about relation. You say understood. So is that kind of what you're getting at? Well, I think that, you know, uh, how we see shape to shape relationships as opposed to, you know, a lot of times students draw sort of like looking at the contour and they're uh-huh. measuring, you know, like the shape of the leg based on sort of the contour. Well, you know, a contour is simply an extension of how we understand the internal um you know, volumes uh, pushing out. Yeah, it's like a um, shorthand. You know, so, you know, I mean, you know, as we know, you know, there are no lines in nature, but, you know, when we make a line, it's uh, it's basically, you know, symbolic of, of how we express and how we think about the internal forms. You know? So so thinking about sort of the bigger shape, you know, at hand in your mind, being able to sort of project it when you are drawing that contour, you know, allows for not only the expression of that contour, but how we understand and see in our mind's eye those internal uh, volumes. What is it that Ang once said that um, the muscles of the body are like the weave of a basket that bulge forth from the inside out? And so if you think about like, you know, Ang is drawing like the contour, so focused on the beauty of that line and how the contour, yeah, it's amazing. Is, the contour is just so like elegant and so incredibly expressed, you know. But he's he sees that he's not seeing the line when he's drawing it. He's seeing the form, you know. Mm-hmm. He's seeing and feeling the form because he can see it in his head, you know, the form. Not because he has to draw all of the muscles and all of the forms, but by virtue of the contour, you know, and the simple simple elegance of a line, how he makes it, can say so much about those internal volumes, you know, and how we think about like the explosion of those volumes from the inside out, as opposed to, you know, like a lot of academic uh, 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 points of view are like, you know, you, you kind of start with the envelope, and, you know, you start with sort of the, 
the perimeter form and then simply fill ah, in. Right, right. Or the sort of yeah. idea of the window shade effect, you know, starting mm-hmm. you know, from one point to another. Well, uh, I think that, like, in some ways, Ang did that, but it was only because he had a, a really strong sense of, like, what was happening on the inside, you know? And, and it's almost like he had eyes that could project, you know, what was there before he could draw it. You know, he knew exactly what was, what was where things were going to go. He also said that the mark of a great draftsman was to start with the left foot and draw up, <laughs> you know? So it's like if you could start with the left foot, just, start, just draw up. You know, it's like you, you could see everything already there before you yeah. before you actually draw it. You could select what matters before you, you know, j- because you can see it, you know, you can see it in your mind already. So that that, that sort of uh, approach uh, is it's one approach that, but it's also based on sort of the feeling and the idea that classical form is, um, is, a, is, is, a, is a vessel. You know, the idea of, of, of a basket, even like the weave of a basket, the overlapping shapes you know are overlapping muscles curvatures that overlap that bulge forth from the inside is um is uh is, i mean if you think about like a greek vase you know what is mm-hmm. what is that you know it's a container of of space so form is a container of space and it simultaneously occupies space and what it does is that it's finding the bigness of that shape the feeling of a fullness of that shape that gives gives uh, makes something feel alive, you know, and present. Um, and that feeling of, of fullness of form is what makes something breathe as well. You know, it breathes out. You know, breathes. You know, breathes out into the space. And so, you know, like when you're thinking about um, making, giving that, giving that feeling of, of breath to form. You know, think about. Think about overlapping, bulging forms as opposed to, you know, forms that are concave. Think about the convex shapes that, mm-hmm. that fill the space. Um, so it's, again, it's about seeing sort of like seeing proportion, um, not so much as a surface characteristic, but seeing proportion as being an internal idea, you know, an internalized idea of shape. It's not just measuring accurately. It's feeling the form as shape you know how that shape moves speaks to the eye but also breathes in its own space so when you know when we think about like Degas once said that we can't breathe the air of, of the great paintings of the old masters you know it's not an air that we breathe it's not where it's 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 not our air you know it's not the air of of, of, of reality it's another kind of air but yet there's, it, it is an air, you know, it has mm-hmm. air, you know, which <laughs> yeah, yeah. is kind of interesting. I mean, it's, just, it's just a wonderful thing to think about um, because when you think about um, making something, making a painting, you know, I often think about like, well, a painting can, can, can feel like it's moving and alive and, and feels, can feel like it's like it, it really has its own space, its own place, its own, its own like, dimension you know um and it, and it's sometimes you know and and so it can be you know it, we can look into a picture as a window but we but a picture can also kind of reverberate and extend itself to, into our space it, it also has dimension that we both look into and also you know penetrates into our space and i think that's kind of an interesting idea that the air you know has its own 
you know, in other words, like there's its own set of laws, you know, that, 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 uh, I mean, every artist creates his own kind of set of laws and, and, and his, his own judgment based on, you know, those laws and or those principles. But at the same time, it's invasive, you know, it invades our space. Was it John Dewey who once said that a work of art is like an organ of vision? And, and, and this is kind of like a funny thing because it, I think it, it's true um, in many ways, at least in my, my looking at other artists' work and how it, 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 it shapes the way we see the world, you know? Uh, I don't know if you've ever gone to a museum show and then come out and, and looked at the world and said, oh my gosh, that looks like, you know, an Edward Hopper painting. Or, yeah, absolutely. You know, or oh my gosh, that looks like yeah. like a, a you know a Vermeer, you know. And um, I, I and there's so many times that that's happened, and I can clearly remember those moments. You know, um, I remember that we had a a show of Vermeer at um, Metropolitan Museum, and um, many you know good example of good variety of of his, his paintings. Um, some of them I you know were from the Met. Many of them I've seen before. But having them all kind of in one space, beautifully lit, uh, they had the milk maid brought in from the Reichs Museum. Um, and uh, I remember it was kind of a winter day and we had our coats checked, uh, coat room and went going back to get my coat, the coat room and just observing someone, a young woman putting her jacket on and the way her gesture, like kind of head tipped to the light that's coming from kind of the side and the right. I mean, and it was like, like I could, it was like time stopped in that moment, seeing that person just putting their jacket on, this sort of casual gesture. I mean, it was like, it was like looking at Vermeer's astronomer, you know, in that moment, you know, caught and made, made permanent. Uh, just a simple moment, you know, that was Vermeer, you know, and it was like, oh my God. And I pointed it out to my friend, you know, the, Look at that. Oh my God, that's a Vermeer. You know? So it wasn't just <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just my my thing, you know. It was like yeah. it was infectious, you know. So the idea that, that a great work of art is infectious, you know, infects the viewer, invades our space, makes us feel what they feel, makes us see what they see, you know, is um is really quite miraculous. And uh, I don't know, it's happened many times, you know, with many and, uh, after seeing many shows, and, you know, uh, that, 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 and I kind of look forward to that because I look forward to finding that, uh, reviving that kind of experience, you know. I mean, it could be uh, looking at a group of paintings that are coming out of the show of Monet and then all of a sudden just walking into the brightly lit street, you know, and start looking, you know, just looking down at the ground and, and all of the debris on the ground and all of a sudden just seeing it, you know, like Monet saw it. Uh, so, so yeah. there's a, there's a, there's an, I think that the thinking about making a picture, not just by copying what we see, but, but, but inspiring others to see a certain way very often is, um, right. is more important. Yeah. And on that topic, I mean, it's, uh, that you bring up Hopper too, is even at, here in Paris, what, what amazes me is when it's not just the look of an artist, but the feel like somebody like Hopper, who was just so good at 
capturing that feeling of, of, I don't know, some would say melancholy or isolation or this mm -hmm. and that. And I've had moments here in Paris where it was just a certain feel, a certain atmosphere that felt so Hopper-esque. Right. Especially yeah. now, right? I mean, New, York, yeah. City, oh, man. New York City now feels like a Hopper, one big giant yeah. Hopper painting. Yeah. Which, I, you know, and, I, and it's interesting because I think that Hopper is a good example of someone who kind of, I don't think, I, I think that his vision was so natural to how he felt that it doesn't feel at all self-conscious, you mm -hmm. know? And, and I don't think that he was really consciously trying to portray the world that way, but he just felt it that way. You know? Right. Yeah. And, I uh, think, yeah. And, I feel like that you know? earnesty is kind of comes off. Yeah. But it's also like something that he, that, that, that somehow like he could, he, he was so sensitive to how, how modern modern world felt, you know, for him, you know, how it, how it um, affected his mind's eye that I, I don't think that he, he said, he said to himself, well, I'm going to make this feel this way. You know, he just painted mm -hmm. it, it, you know, because he just, that's just the way he, he saw things, you know, um, I came across a, just actually right now, a, a, a quote by Baudelaire says mm -hmm. that, um, that uh, romanticism uh, is not a choice of subject, but a way of looking at reality from within. Perfect. You know, that uh, in many ways, like kind of like a romantic outlook is, I think that's something that is, uh, is, is that was, I, I, how should I say this? Is that we not so much like, you know, the way we think of the word, you know, romantic, but, but the nature of romanticism is, is, is that, that idea that there's an internalized world and uh, like actually Schopenhauer once said, I have a quote here from him. He said that for each of us, the world is not, is not a sun or an earth, but instead an eye that sees the sun and a hand that feels the earth, making the world about us, our idea of the world. Uh, so it's sort of like the, the world is not the world, but the world is my idea of the world is uh is a, a way of sort of internalizing, you know, uh, the language that of, of I, you know you could think about it this way sort of a way of internalizing the language of seeing but also how to project that idea of um, the internal and at the same time uh, for me it isn't just that that it isn't just uh, at least for me you know it isn't just the a romantic outlook but it's also believing in 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 the, in the world of appearances um, and believing that that I can make assumptions about that world. You know, I can, I can assume that, that, that world exists and is fixed to a certain degree, you know? And, and, and so it's in that kind of like balance that, that being a, you know, representational painter becomes so important to me that, that I maintain that idea of, of representation. Um, and, and, and because there's, there's a, there's an element of both doubt and faith associated with each other about the world that, that one can feel. And, and I think that, that from, you know, at least for me, you know, I, I can't speak for everyone because it isn't something that we all necessarily believe, you know, but, but for me, that, that the belief in the, the relationship between how, what I accept and what I assume in that acceptance, you know, optically, visually is also an assumption of faith um, because I could disprove everything. You know, if by reason, I could disprove that 
that that you know I can hold up a pencil like Hegel didn't do. What is this? You know, can anybody <laughs> yeah. explain it to me? You know, and, and so one can sort of like uh, 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 disprove our our the world uh, optically, you know. Um, but but I, I I I quite I think that going back to that idea of being a child, that we we make that assumption that the world is there, and the world is something can be denoted as beautiful. You know, we can say that the world, the things that we see, you know, can relish in those things. And, and we can say that, that they are beautiful. And, and, and I think that um, the idea of beauty is, uh, is, is, is something that, you know, maybe in contemporary times we don't think often of, of you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was another, like, what is it that um, Schopenhauer said that, you know, a work of art, is like a raging tiger trapped in a beautiful silver cage. Right, right. You know, so so the idea is that 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 that, that beauty is 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 form is the is the is the, uh, the way that uh, we can we, we give form to the horror of existence. You know that, that existence is time. You know, is you know nature wants to devour us. You know, but but we can still embrace it and 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 give it and, and with that in that beautiful silver cave you know and we embrace it and give make it it's a very romantic idea Schopenhauer's a ring. it was but yeah. we embrace it we can embrace it and give it and give it and give it um and give it give it form you know and, and make it make it beautiful you know right i've also heard you speak before about you were talking about working from life and you refer to it as, I believe, as like an inquiry into humanness. Is that correct? Well, I think that it's an inquiry into very often your own humanness, uh-huh. you know, um, as opposed to like, I, I like, you know, and even, well, I mean, like really, we, we don't really, I, I mean, we really don't know anything. You don't, when somebody sits in your studio, you know, and you're, you're painting and drawing them, you really get to know that person. No. Right. No, not really. Do you, do you, even, even the people who are close to you and who love you, you know, and you love them, you, you know, something about that, but, but do you really know them? No, not really. And, and then you have to say to yourself, do I really know myself even? <laughs> yeah. You know, true. You know, so, so, you know, so that, that sort of like very often I, I, I kind of say like the, the, the uh, that there's kind of a price uh, for beauty as far as reason goes. Uh, beauty. Um, is really an impossibility. Mm-hmm. It, it it just only appears to be harnessed by reason. Yeah. So uh, so that idea of of appearances and what is real becomes the dilemma. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's kind of like in that dilemma that that one can sort of like find something about themselves. You know, in other words, that like. I, I, and they just had on TV uh, um, a documentary on Bruce Lee. I love Bruce Lee. Oh yeah, I'm a big fan. He's like he's such a great like. I mean, I, what I like, what I love about Bruce Lee is what he says. You know, he's just he says so many great things. I mean, he's so, so interesting. Like really, I mean, the way he thinks about you know uh, systems, you know, even and breaking the system, you know, and creating surprise is is it's just like it's painting. You know, it's just like painting. Um, and uh, he once said that 
I think it was it might have been in Into the Dragon. I'm not sure, but <laughs> to re- release release yourself from the burden of your mind. Right? Yeah, yeah. Young people, you know? Yeah. And and it's like the 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 you know the the thinking can get in the way of the doing. You know. So I tell my students, I said, you know, think, 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 but then forget about your thinking and then just do it. Yeah. You know? Otherwise, just, yeah, well, I always refer like, to that as you know, analysis into paralysis. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You can analyze over and over until finally you just paralyze yourself. Absolutely. Um, like overthinking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think it's important to think a lot about what it is that you're doing. You know, step back. That's why we step back. We make judgments, you know. Um, and and, that, and that's really important to be able to gain objectivity, objectivity uh, with ourselves and with what we see and what we want, but but there's kind of a price to be paid for that. You know, the price is that it's not it's not the action. Mm-hmm. You know, the action itself is is something else. Right. You know, it's like uh, you know, Baryshnikov uh, uh, probably thought about how to take that flying leap thought about it, thought about it, practiced it, practiced it, practiced it. But that extra few seconds that he's like, you know, defying gravity, that he's in the air longer than he's supposed to be. The illusion that he creates in doing that, you know, is, is, is true skill. You know, Mm -hmm. like that's true. That's real skill. You know, skill is not the techniques that you learn and adapt to and, and make use of alone, but it's, it's 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 how you how you transform it into the action right you know how you transform the knowledge into the action and so um you know he takes that flying leap he's not thinking he's yeah that's virtuosity leap, yeah know? you know he's he not thinking thinks. he's just doing it and it's just like happening yeah yeah and it looks perfect yeah and flawless and that's flawless. virtuosity yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And so, so, it, so that—that's how I think about skill. Okay. You know, that, that's that people. You know, when I was in college, people like talk that. You know, it's too skillful, or you know, get you know what? You know, it's certain uh, connotations that people use with words that kind of denote a negativity. You know, like like skillfulness was like looked at as being negative. Yeah, it was a pejorative. You know, like yeah, and and, and so like why 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 is it neg- why is it a bad thing. You know, like what, what does it even mean? What does skill really mean anyway? So, uh, you know, questioning, uh, semantics and the words, um, as a young artist, you know, is very important to me. Um, and so like the idea of like, you know, rebelling and questioning is, um, something that I still do. I still want to question. I still want to think about things in a way that, um, you know, is not necessarily accepting, you know, I don't accept everything, you know. Um, so there, there's, you know, having a having a visual outlook on the world that accepts and doesn't accept, mm-hmm. you know, you know, is in my mind is like really for me is sort of like teetery teeters on that ba- in that balance. What what becomes, um, um, you know, an affirmation. And what becomes a, um, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, a, 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 an unresolved question, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so like I, 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 and, and sometimes the, 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 the unresolved question 
becomes more important because that becomes in many ways the, the mystery of a painting. That's the intrigue. You know, so yeah. The mystery of something. And so like I, you know, people say, well, how do you find your own like language or how do you find your own vision for things? You know, and the best way to do that is just to sort of like not think too much about yourself, you know, like, release yourself from the burden of your mind yeah back to bruce Lee. you know it, it yeah it's like you know release yourself from the burden of your mind and and uh and just 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 be you know just exist and and look at and just you know be, be part of this thing you know but question it and 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 be involved in it be outward and inward yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And I failed. It, it seems, I know for myself, like my experience too, it seems for a lot of people, it's extremely difficult to let go of that because you put so much stock into this idea of whatever you think skill is and to let go of that skill. Like, for instance, you know, recently I've going back, there's some jazz albums and, you know, from Miles Davis and especially Coltrane, like going through Coltrane mm. to like giant steps into mm. the Love Supreme, into Ascension, mm. you know, you can argue. Mm that he's in many have that he was, it was skilled less in some yes. ways, but that letting go, there was a skill within that yes. as well. Yes, absolutely. You know? That's great. That's great. Point. And, and I yeah. feel like when you're talking about flinging paint, that's almost how I see Coltrane, especially in a love Supreme. He was still a little bit hanging on there, you know, but there were moments of just let go, let go that, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's, and it's the nature in some ways of improvisation is that, um, you know, um, allowing uh, allowing the the element of chance to sort of become part of it. You know, allowing yeah. the, and, and and you know, the chances. I, I mean, you know, some people don't believe in a chance universe. Um, you know, as Einstein said, that God doesn't play dice with the universe. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I, you know, and, and then you know, Heisenberg does the opposite. Right, right. You know, that that you know, with the uncertainty principle. But but there's but there's um, in my mind I kind of I think of that as both those things you know that 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 all of this is composed of both you know it's both both ordered and chaos you know um, it's not just our mind that imposes order on things but but there is order and our mind does impose order right, right. as well but and, and our mind also has chaos you know? so I think that there's 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 a combination of um, of both. Uh, and it's how we make use of it. It's how we make use of the chaos and it's how we make use of the order, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that, that there's something about our, our creative nature. I mean, you know, like what is human nature? Like what are, what, you know, our ability to reason and our ability to make things, you know, be creative imagination. Yeah. You know, an imagination. So the, the, the combination of, of, of what our, you know, in terms of like our, our the nature of, of, of being human is such a fascinating thing, you know. It's just so crazy and unique. And I don't know, being alive is, especially now, it's just like, <laughs> what the hell is going on, you know? Well, you know, I mean, if you, uh, if you believe in a completely, um, you know, causal uh, existence, you know, that everything is deterministic, mm -hmm. you know, uh, then it, it, it's like, well, then, then the problem becomes, you know, like where, you know, where is their freedom? You know, is there, is there, and, and in many ways that sort of like that became the, 
philosophical conundrum, you know, um, especially at the turn of the century and, 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 and during the romantic period. All right. So, you know, like, so where is, uh, where is, uh, where do our choices, do we have free will? You know, do we have the freedom to choose, you know, comes question mark. Uh, if you believe in a completely deterministic universe, because then we're all predisposed to everything, you know, mm-hmm. our, our choices are, are, are not really ours anymore. You know? So, so, I mean, that's an interesting, uh, 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 uh idea that you bring up because throwing that little bit of chaos in is, um, uh, I mean, I th- actually think the universe is composed more of chaos than, more, I would agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but 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 the but but that idea of um, that little bit of chaos is is a little bit like in my mind, kind of like the, the little bit of miracle that 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 breaks the the, the rhythm, you know, mm-hmm. the little bit the the miracle that that things, you know, that th- anything can change, anything can happen, um, and not just because of what we do. You know, or our choices, but because the world can be that way, right? Which, uh, which it, it, you know, it's an interesting way of thinking. You know, I think you know that that there is that 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 we have free will. You know, but that the world itself, that the universe itself, might have a will of its own. You know, something I was really interested about because I, when I was telling you that in the beginning, when I was in art school, that's when I came across your work, and it was a big influence on me. And what stuck out to me is because the first body of work I saw of yours was when you were really getting into the, like the body art subculture. Cause it was such a different thing to see at the time among realist artists. And it's always curious how that came about. What was your interest in that? And how did it come about? And what year was it? That was like mid, or I mean the early two thousands, right? When you were doing- uh, late, late 1990s. Late 1990s. Okay. And yeah. so it was early 2000s. In, in I came across yeah. it. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, New York City uh, uh, was a different place. Uh, um, I think that I mean, you know, you, you, uh, I don't, I, I don't know if you've been to New York. Oh yeah, uh, I lived there for a little bit. Uh, year, and and I, I I grew up here, um, grew up in New York City, um, and so I I sort of witnessed a, the the change. Uh, uh, it's become so much more commercialized and kind of. You know, sterile in its, um, in its in its outlook. You know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot. But but the back back in the nineties, there quite a few. Um, I mean, that that idea of the subculture under you know the, the and in the eighties as well. I mean, you know, it, it, it's come out in street art. Oh, for sure, yeah. You know, but but uh, but that really doesn't exist anymore. It's too expensive now. Yeah. But uh, I mean, maybe it'll change after all this. Who knows? You know, maybe something. Anything can happen. After yeah, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but you look but at the, Brooklyn, the, like in the last, you know, ten years, mm-hmm. Brooklyn, Williamsburg, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, so, so New York's become really kind of like a tourist attraction, right? You know, in recent years, well, not so recent, quite a while now. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but back in, you know, you know, I. I I, I had once had a studio, 939 8th Avenue, uh, right right around the last year when I graduated from college. Uh, me and a buddy of mine, we we opened up a um, studio um, down right off of 56th Street on um, on 8th Avenue. Uh-huh. And um, 
we only paid three hundred dollars a month for about two thousand square feet. Oh man, that's incredible. Uh, yeah, in Manhattan, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, and we we were able to like like um, you know just I mean you didn't need much money to live and get along in the city, you know. Yeah. Uh, and to be young and to be kids, it was a great time. You know, just so much freedom, you know. But I mean, it was dangerous. Well, it was a lot more. Um, you know, drug trafficking and crime, and all kinds of, you know, things like that as well. So you can't be too romantic about it. You know? But, um, but, uh, but it was also a time when, um, you know, there was this uh, kind of free, free um, uh, ability to kind of, kind of go anywhere, do anything, you know, feel restricted in any way, you know, as a young person, as a young artist. Yeah. Um, so we could we could have people come into our studio and draw and paint, uh, and uh, people would pose without having necessarily didn't mind not pay, even you know we had lots of people coming pose for us. We didn't have to pay. You know, people just <laughs> wanted to, you know, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. like there was there was a Hari Krishna temple at that time, just a few blocks away. We had no money. We would go there to eat, you know, have our dinner there, and, and <laughs> kind of go through it all, and then have a free meal. And, uh, and, you know, they would always say, kind of proselytize a little bit here and there. Sure. So, so we made use of that. We got them to come pose for us. What? That's and, amazing. And, you know, and, and so, you know, they come with their music, the drums and everything. Yeah. And they pose, they would, you know, kind of model for us in our, in, in, in our studio. So, you know, anything you could do to get first to model for you, pose for you, you know, we, I mean, I, I, we've kind of figured that out, how to do that, you know, and, 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 and it was great because you could like, you know, just meet all different kinds of people. New York is such a, a mixture of, of people, you know, and uh, it was just so wonderful to be able to sort of be open to the variety of people and, and make them um, kind of connect uh, to your world by virtue of uh, how you allowed them into your studio. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, um, you know, that, that I've always sort of had that, that idea that, I started painting firemen because my neighbor was a, a lieutenant in New York City Fire Department back in, you know, back in the um, late 80s, early 90s. And um, he uh, he introduced me to more firemen who started modeling for me. They didn't, didn't want pay. They just wanted, you know, just wanted to model and be part of part of it. You yeah, know, yeah. And it was great, great, you know, just getting to know their world and connecting with with their experiences in some way. and bringing that into my um, stream of thinking. Um, and uh, that's how, you know, I started connecting with some of these young kids at that time who were, um, um, you, know, you know, either goth kids or um, club kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you know, they wanted to just model. They wanted to be, they loved pose, you know, <laughs> they loved to see themselves made into a painting. It just, you know, so enthusiastic and so creative in their thinking, and and so that 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 kind of environment uh, in New York is just very different than it is now. You know? um, but uh, it was also a great source of not just uh, you know material to paint, think of it that way, or right. um, you know, but but also just to experience um, different ways of thinking that that people had. And to make that um, kind of connection 
in, in the painting, you know, let, in, in other words that, you know, like I, I mentioned earlier that the, 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 the actor is so important to me mm-hmm. um, that, that the person who's, who's playing their role, you know, says something about what their, what, what that role is. But then at the same time, you know, um, begins to reveal um, something of the, of, of what, what you don't, you know, see right away, you know, it, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a text and a subtext to everything, mm, okay. you know? And, and so, um, the theatricality, and I mean, theatricality is very important to me in general, the idea of theater. And, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the club kids, I, I think that the, the, the theatricality of assuming a new name, you know, right. making, creating a new name for themselves, uh, body modification, uh, changing the, um, uh, persona the personification of who they are into what they want to be um was very interesting to me as subject but also as something that connected in my mind with sort of theatrical you know the theatrical and how what is theater you know ultimately you know that there's a there's a presentation projection you could say of 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 of, of a mask or of of body armor, something protective or something, you know, horrible, you know, or crazy or, you know, so that there's, there's a, there's a projection of that. That's outward, you know, a right. present could say a presentation, but that presentation is very important because it, it allows for the revelation of something else. You know, it allows for kind of the, the synthesis of what is um, underneath that is buried or hidden, that is um, individual, that is particular. Mm-hmm. Never, never know exactly what that is. You know, because again, you never know anything, but but it does begin to sort of reveal something of itself. Right, bits and pieces. Yeah, and 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 it's in that sort of um, in in the particular that I think. Um, the, the eye finds kind of interesting. In other words, it creates interest. It's how we think of also, you know, the general and the particular, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the universal nature of things, you know, and the, the temporal nature of right. things. Symmetry versus asymmetry. I mean, I could get into a whole thing with that, but, but there's uh, for it. <laughs> I find it interesting too. I was going to ask you about that actually, because in, Listening to and reading interviews from you and the f- few things I've been able to listen to, it seems your general general philosophy is based on that type. I don't know if balance is the right word for it, but it seems you get, it's a constant. Like you, you would say you refer to like the temporal to the infinite and these kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? These bipolar aspects. Well, it, it's it's you know kind of us the idea of how we think about. Um, you know, symmetry, you know, what is symmetry? You know, even, when, even painting a portrait, right, right. you know, we, we think about the, that there are symmetrical um, um, aspects to um, portrait, you know, how divided, you know, we, there, you know, two eyes that are positioned symmetrically, nostrils, ears, and so forth. you know, just the whole body is divided, you know. Um, In a very general view. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like uh, one side to the other. Right. Um, 
and uh, and that's a kind of you know there's there's that that gives sort of balance to um, to all the fear variety in terms of like the asymmetry mm-hmm. that also coexists with that. So you know we look at one side of the face to the other, one eye is a little higher, one eye is a little lower. You know nothing is purely symmetrical. Right. You know there's also asymmetry. You know in in in, in, in ourselves and forms of nature and so forth. So there's a there's the this sort of balance between how we see see something um, in the whole and how we see something in the particular. You know, so that that balance, that equilibrium between the parts and the whole, is important to me. Right. You know, and finding that that sort of gray area. Now, some artists lean more towards the the whole. You know, the the universals and systems and the uh, uh, connectingness between you know one side to the other, and some artists lean more towards the, uh, the particulars in the variations and the more morphic character of form uh-huh. so so there's there's always like a um, um kind of you know i mean that you know like there's never really exactly a balance or any you know centered anything like there's no there's no gray there's no pure gray so he's going to be on the side of you know what either light or dark you know mm-hmm. you can never mm-hmm. you never get to the center so there you can never really get to a true balance of anything but but the idea is that um you, you know the intimate we intimate the uh suggest balance you know intimate you know the, the infinite so the um the uh um the, the the universal nature is something that we we see at a distance we see the whole you know we see the the the, the uh, cyclical quality of, of things, you know, in other words, like the, the um, you hold up a, a, a leaf from an oak tree, it, it echoes the shape of the oak tree. You hold up another leaf from that same oak tree, it's similar in shape and proportion. You look a little closer from one leaf to the other, and all this variety, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so as soon as you start looking, the closer you begin to look, the more, you know, variety varied uh, things become and so i teach very often i teach my students you know in observation uh to do both you know like look at the figure from a distance gain its proportion its its position in space you know um based on kind of a symmetrical outlook how to see you know generalities um, how those generalities you know could relate to a larger um uh, position in your thinking, uh, but at the same time, you know when we move close, we those curvatures that we see at a distance become more and more angled. You know, we see more angles and more subtlety mm-hmm. in the in those varied angles, and so uh, things become more angular because our eye begins to sort of rest on the uh, the contour as a series of angles as opposed to a series of curves. Um, and, and also had to think about the, the, the variety that exists to the eye and how to make that interesting uh, and varied, but also connected to the larger picture, you know, the, 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 the universal quality of a picture, you know, mm-hmm. the, the feeling that everything belongs to everything. 
you know. So I say to my students that, like, you know, when you're looking, you know, looking at color, you know, don't just like look at one color, you know, but but look at the variety of colors that exist in conjunction with each other. That there is no one color to anything. In fact, there is no color. There's only temperature, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the variety of one temperature and values. I, I also say that, for example, that there's no there's no such thing as 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 separating value from color, but to think about color as value and value mm-hmm. as color. And when you do that, then red is no longer red. Green is no longer green. You know, green, red is a, that red that you see, you know, is a certain temperature as it exists next to another red or as it coexists next to. Oh, I see. Yeah, the relationships cool. and the. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you could take like, I tell me, you can take like a red, you know, a cadmium red and put it down next to, you know, cadmium or cadmium yellow. And that cadmium red all of a sudden starts to look cool. Yeah. You know, because it, it's, it's, it's overshadowed. Or you take that same cadmium red and you put it on a bright white background. You know, it starts to look dark. Right. Right. It, it looks darker. You know, take that same cadmium red and you put it on a vibrant blue. And all of a sudden it's lighter value. Yep. You know, yeah. all of a sudden it's, 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 it has chroma. You know, it just explodes yeah, the eyes dramatically, you know. Yeah. So so the, the idea is that, that, you know, everything is everything. Right. You no. Know? Everything is part of everything. You can't try not to isolate things, you know, but to see, you know, see things in relation to each other. And, and so th- this is a, um, this is what I, I think of as a, as a symmetrical relationship. That makes sense. You know, yeah. you know. It's a relationship of, of establishing balances right. based on one to the other, one side to the other side. Yeah. One, uh, what's on the inside, what's on the outside. Now, you can also extend that to sort of like how we think about ourselves, how we think about others, um, how we think about our studio, how we think about the world outside. Mm-hmm. It becomes also a, a relationship, how we think about the world inside and how we think about the world outside. What's on the inside? What's on the outside? What's a curvature? What a series of angles? Mm-hmm. What's a what's a, a detail? You know, what's what? How do we see the whole? How do we see the part? How do we see the whole? So so there's there's you know balance in that too. You know there's there's a equilibrium or a sense of of like seeing things, seeing two things at once. Um, and and and, and that's a very important. Mo- uh, 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 concept for me is that it's not that you see one thing and then you see the other, but it's seeing it all at once. Right. Together in a relationship, you know, yeah. seeing the parts in the whole at once, mm-hmm. seeing the particulars and the general at once. Right. You know, and, 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 uh, and, and that, that, that's, that takes a bit of effort. Too. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not saying that I'm great at it, but it is, it is something that we all strive for because the human mind, you know, the mind wants to like, look at focus in, yeah, yeah. So it's like you kind of are, you know, you have to kind of fight your mind with your mind, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Painting and drawing is not a natural act. No. Yeah, it's, it's also, you know, uh, developing a way of seeing something. Like, you know, I, I, I tell my students, you know, more than, you know, more than anything, it's like learning, learning how to see that's important. You know, 90% of, of what we do is learning how to see, 
10% maybe learning how to paint. Right. <laughs> so, so the, 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 and, and, you know, we're, I, Hey, you know, like we're all still learning, you know, we're all learning how to see, you know, and that's, that's all, you know, that's all part of the mystery of things too. But the, 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 the act of, of, of seeing is something that requires a mindfulness towards, you know, it's not, it's not something that we take for granted. I mean, when I go around students and I say, Hey, you know, I'll help them with, you know, their issues of color. A lot of people have trouble with color, seeing color. Yeah. Um, you know, because most people are trained, especially in the genre that, that we, we paint in. Most people are trained in, uh, seeing things first and values, um, seeing things, you know, in terms of value construct, you know, hierarchy of values and so forth. Um, that's not how you see it. And no, okay, no, you have to see both ways. I mean, like you have, I mean, there is a hierarchy of value construct, but it's not to separate it from the, uh, from color and to, or to separate from drawing, you know, um, that, that, that drawing color and, you know, it's all, it's all the same. You know, we have to see it. This is the thing, you know, it's like, like training your mind's eye to embrace everything, you know, at once, you know, how to see everything at once, you know, now if, if you paint it, you can paint it in a systematic way. You know, you could, there's nothing wrong with painting like a, a, a you know, something in a Versailles technique or in an underpainting technique that is uh, based on, you know, a limited, a limited palette idea or, but, but in your mind, one has to sort of like see that as a prelude to what the painting will become. And in order to see something in the beginning, you know, the first steps are always like with the mindfulness that what I do now is, is based on what I will do. In other words, what I, what I, what I'm doing is not what I'm doing. It's, it's what I'm about to do that matters. Okay. You know, yeah. So whether it, whether it's a, a la prima approach or a, a indirect or direct painting approach, I mean, those are all terms. And basically, in, in the end, those are just semantics. You know, uh, because uh, everything that we do is um, everything. Every, you know, like everything has sort of a. I think of painting as a series of beginnings. In other words, yeah. Nothing, nothing ever becomes finished. It only becomes made more complete. So people say, well, when do you know a painting is finished? You know, like, what is it that um, somebody asked Picasso when, uh, 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 how do you know when a painting is finished? I said that, well, painting is painted by two, two, two artists paint a picture. You know, one, one, one of the artists has to hold the arm back. Yeah. yeah. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I forgot exact words, yeah. but, but I thought that, well, you know, uh, <laughs> And, and so, you know, one has to sort of know when to stop, you know? Yeah. Well, because it's true. I mean, like you could go on forever and make it more and more, give it more and more the feeling of wholeness, mm-hmm. completeness and so forth. But sooner or later, you know, it's like you have to say to yourself, okay, I got to stop. Yeah. You know, but is it finished? No. Right. You know, uh, there's a story uh, where uh, uh, one of Degas' uh, uh, collectors, well-known collector. Uh, the Ruart family and uh and he uh, Henry Ruart not Ruel Henry Ruart mm-hmm. um uh went to Dega came to dinner and, and uh he's one of his pictures was hanging 
can I, the big guy said, can I borrow that back? I just want to change. I forget. Maybe it was like the oil can on the, in the corner of the painting. I just want to make a little change here, you know, and then he let him take it, which was his mistake. And then they got turned it into just completely, you know, because one thing, little thing, Leads led to, to another, another thing. little thing, yeah. lead to another thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, uh, so for an artist, I, you know, and I look back at like paintings that I've done, like in, you know, like in the eighties or, it was, you know, or, you know, you look back on an older painting and you go, Oh my God, if I could only take that back into my studio. And do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <that's> <laughs> you, know, you know, the feeling I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah of course. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I would imagine too, I mean, you're looking at paintings from so long ago, it's the more that distance grows, the more you're, you know, you've uh, experienced more, you see better. Yeah. So yeah. those things are even more highlighted. Yeah, or, or you just, yeah. you know, like or you change your mind, you know, you want to change your mind about something or whether, whether it's right or wrong, you know, whether you see things more correctly or less correctly. Sure. It's yeah. just that, you know, everything is, is, is moving, you know, uh, uh, we are moving. Time is moving. I mean, even if you, I mean, you know, when you're painting in your studio, I used to feel like everything had to be, you know, fixed, you know, tape the model, you still do that. But, but, you know, I think that getting older to be an older artist, you're not so, so, uh, I don't know, um, rigid about it, you know, that, you know, you, the light has to be a North light, uh, you know, the, it has to be as steady as possible. You know, you have to keep the pose in check all the time. And I, and, and I think that as at least, you know, getting older, I, I begin to feel more like, well, you know, if the light changes a little bit, I'll go with it. You know, yeah. if, if, if the model moves a bit, you know, sometimes I, I'll embrace that because it, it, it speaks to something that I might not have thought of. If, if, if the, if uh, I move back a little bit, you know, and I'm not in the exact same position, you know, maybe I see something that I, I wouldn't have otherwise seen. You know, if I turn my head a little bit one way or the other, you know, maybe hey, that gives me a little bit more feeling of the form turning, uh-huh. you know. So so the the uh, being less kind of confined to um, creating a, a space that's very rigid and still um, allows for a breath, you know, a breath of possibilities that would, might not otherwise exist. And so that that. That, that, that being, you know, as we, we, we mature, I think that more and more of that begins to sort of infiltrate the thinking. Yeah. You it know? reminds me of one of my favorite Bruce Lee quotes when he just said, be like water, my friend. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have to yeah, run to flexibility. Adapt. Yeah. How to adapt and be flexible. Yeah. Water takes the shape yeah. of the bowl. Water takes the shape of the bottle. <laughs> right. But it's also more powerful. Yeah. And over time, it'll change rocks. Yes. It changes yes. the shape. It's of the also rock. more powerful. Yeah. It's also more powerful. Yeah. You know, which I, I think is really um, uh, uh, flexibility. Uh, very often I sit, talk to my students and say, well, you know, like, like, you know, we have a strategy. You have a strategy before a picture. You know, sometimes that strategy is based on like I make a sketchbook and I draw it in my sketchbook, both from my imagination and from my observation. And I'll incorporate, you know, like the combinations of things and start to maybe come up with a, um, a, a concept for a picture, you know, and, uh, and I'll make some variations on that. And that's my strategy. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the strategy. That's kind of like the, what you do before you 
play a game of chess. You know, you, you get to know who your opponent is. You get a you look at their, you know, what kinds of moves they've made, how they played the game before, um, and what you think a strategy might, you know, how to defeat them based on, you know, what you could expect from them, you know, um, based on, on what they've done already, you know. So, so you kind of like say, well, I can, I can do this, I can do that, I can, and then, and then once you're in the game, you, you know, you put your pawns out gradually. You don't put your queen out immediately, of course. Right, right. You'll get killed. So that's like you know, a lot of a lot of students they put their queen out right away. They're looking at the detail of the eyeballs or the eyelashes or something. You know, they're like, you know, trying to go for the kill immediately. So you know, by by developing kind of a tentative, you know, a move. You're, you're feeling out your opponent, you know, you kind of see where they're going. But then, you know, the opponent puts out, does something that you didn't expect them to do based mm-hmm. on your expectations. You know, you, you might have, an expe- you know, because everything that they've done before, you know, it's like, you, you, you know, it's not, they're not doing that. You know, there's something that just came out of nowhere and it, and it, it looks like it's, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason. You can't figure it out. It's, it looks like it's, it's, there, it, it looks like it's coming from, from something, you know, erratic. You know, yeah. It feels erratic. It feels like it's a surprise. You know, well, in painting, that's nature. You know, and and, and nature is what you see out and what you see in. Mm-hmm. It's the relationship between who you are, how you feel, what you've become. And what the world, the appearances of the world are simultaneous to that. So what do we do? You know, well, you have to be like water. You know, you have to be flexible. Yeah. So one has to sort of like change the strategy, you know, or change something of of your strategy in order to adapt to the unexpected, you know, that move that challenges you, you know, and, and that painting in many ways can be that you know and that's that's the excitement to me in painting it's like having a really good opponent you know a, a, an opponent who because if you have a, a weak opponent you know yeah sure get through it you know really quickly but but having a really good opponent you know challenges uh, uh you with the unexpected with with how to respond to something right that you wouldn't otherwise be able to does that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, I was wondering too, and I guess we'll start tying it up. But with regards to that, like if taking like a kind of a bird's eye view, I guess, in the trajectory of your life in painting, what would you say is changed, like with regards to like the value of painting, and how do you see re- or realist painting? I guess I would say. And what I mean by that, more specifically, is like in my short time in painting, I it always seems anything that's somewhat realist seems to go in and out of fashion. The market changes. And I remember, I remember even in the beginning, like say maybe in the nineties, it almost seemed kind of anachronistic, like mm. traditional oil painting was almost kind of this like, Oh, isn't that neat? And then it comes mm. back into the public consciousness and then it's uh, elevated to an extent. I, I remember there was a time when uh, um, all painting, no matter how you, how, what once, um, outlook was whether it was representational or non-representational was kind of um, um, looked down on, uh-huh. you know, and that uh, you know some of our 
our art critics at the time. I'm talking about like, especially in the nineties yeah, yeah. would, uh, would elevate, you know, photography over painting, you know, and, uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm not even talking, I mean, you know, it, it, even, you know, even formalist paintings, you know, was looked at as being, um, when I say formalist, I mean, you know, uh, non-objective painting mm-hmm. were looked at as being, uh, um, kind of passe, you know, that, that painting itself is really like a, a mode or a medium that, that, you know, didn't really have any meaning anymore. Consequences of were meaningless. Um, so there was a very strong, uh, uh, outlook for that. So the, uh, uh, the emphasis was primarily on, you know, uh, you know, video and photography and uh, performance art. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and painting was sort of like look, put on the back burner, you know, I mean, of course, artists painted, of course, they were exhibited in all kinds, you know, but, but realist painting or figurative painting, um, you know, was, 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 the term was very often used as being retrograde mm-hmm. and, and you don't, you don't hear that much anymore. You know, that, that, <laughs> that term retrograde, no. which I think is kind of interesting, you know, like why, why don't why call it red, yeah. like what the hell does that mean you know <laughs> anyway <laughs> so um so the uh, uh uh that that sort of um point of view was uh very powerful at that time and uh and and, and i i think that it's changed i think that painting has now become more elevated actually over many of the other mediums um, as you know, for, for, as painting, but mm-hmm. unfortunately I think that the, the, the emphasis, it, uh, is, seems to be less on, how should I say this? Like less on the, 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 the particulars, uh, with regard to the meaning of a picture, uh, and the point of the purpose of, of, of painting. And it's become, it's been made more into a commodity. Mm-hmm. So the the sort of objectification of painting has become more more important than the content of of, of a painting, at least in, in the world the way I see it. You know, in, in the upper echelons of the art world. So the uh, you know its value it's become a little bit more like a like a trophy or an antiquity. You know that has um, you know how how value is associated with it as an object as opposed to. Um, it's dynamic as, as, as a form. And, uh, and, and that, and I think that's unfortunate, not just because it's, whether it's figurative or not, non-figurative, I think, you know, I mean, it could be, I mean, painting could be anything and I can enjoy all kinds of painting. Um, but it's just unfortunate that, that that's kind of like the world we live in where, you know, where, where, where people who buy art aren't, aren't educated, you Mm -hmm. know, majority, a lot of celebrities by art, you know, aren't, aren't cultivated, you know, with a, a, a deep knowledge of art history or, uh, are cultivated with uh, an understanding of, of, of painting, not, not everyone, but, but to a large degree, there's a, there's a, um, kind of a, a, you know, a, a commercialized outlook, uh, that, that to me is, is unfortunate. So, I mean, as far as like actual representational painting, you know, real, you know, what becomes rep- or total t- titled representational art, there's all kinds of ways in which people, you know, terms that people use for that. 
what's what's realist, what's not, you know, what's um, naturalist or what's objective. Um, I mean, you know, I'm not sure how to how to classify uh, classify that. I just only know what I enjoy, what I like, what I I want. I've always enjoyed, like, always, like, was. I mean, every. I can't remember a time when, you know, I, I the artists, the great artists from the museums, like, didn't speak to me. You know, I mean, I, I just I've always had this sort of like, um, uh, deep like like love for um, for the for Titian, for Rembrandt, for Velasquez, for you know, Michelangelo, for Raphael. I mean, Delacroix. I mean, like, mm-hmm. there's just so much there that I've always like felt um uh, connected to uh, not just because of the the you know because everybody says that they're great artists but because they 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 kind of kind of like touch me in my deepest part of my soul right you know and and so i i wanted to be part of that you know i want my work to be connected somehow to that you see that as a lineage um sorts Actually, can I can I read? I, I came across um, actually. I've known, there's a quote here, yeah, by Francis Bacon. By Francis Bacon, if I can just read it, just please. Kind of, it's it's interesting. It's very very uh, very meaningful, I think. But uh, he says, uh, also, man now realizes that he is an accident, that he is a completely futile being, that he has to play out the game without reason. I think that even when Velasquez was painting, even when Rembrandt was painting, they were still, whatever their attitude to life, slightly conditioned by certain types of religious possibilities, which man now, you could say, has had canceled out himself. Man now can only attempt to beguile himself for a time by prolonging his life, by buying a kind of immortality through the doctor. You see, painting has become, all art has become a game by which man distracts himself. And you may say that it always has been like that, but now it's entirely a game. What is fascinating is that it's only going to become much more difficult for the artist because he must really deepen the game to be any good at it all so that he can make life a bit more exciting that's a great quote um and and i think that like our the idea of sort of uh, making art into entertainment yeah uh i think has kind of like in our day or at least in in our contemporary experience with the art world you know is as um as as i mean that 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 really speaks to that i think because entertainment in many ways is what kind of uh, distracts us, you know, of course. it distracts, it distracts us from, you know, the, the possibility of death or the, the inevitability of death. And, um, and so it's kind of like, you know, um, what, what we, all we have is this game, you know, um, because we don't, we don't, we don't have the, we don't have that, that, that deeper, um, struggle with, uh, with, with faith and doubt that maybe artists of the past had. So what we're left with is simply uh, the game, you know, and that I think, you know, is, uh, is, is, 
I mean, it can be good and it can not, it can be a problem, you know, because for me, at least my outlook on things is that when I look back at the great artists of the past, it's not because they painted representationally or because they had great skill or because they, I mean, they, well, they did or because they had, you know, um, even, you know, human compassion exhibited in their work or, um, or some moral, you know, um, empathy. Uh, it's not just because of that. Um, I mean, I do love the idea of craft, of good craftsmanship. And um, I love to look at, you know, great drawing and, and all of that. But, but really what, what the underlying, I think, the underlying um, connection that I, I've had ever since I was a little kid, you know, to looking at Michelangelo or looking at uh, Leonardo da Vinci or looking at these artists is that, is that, that, that kind of questioning of not only spirituality, but questioning of, of, of existence that, um, that seems so deep and illuminating. That's why I, I love those artists so much and um, why I want to paint like them. I think that is a perfect way to end it. That was really beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I wanted to touch back. You were talking earlier now that uh, during quarantine, you're doing, uh, what was it? You said critiques and instruction online? Or uh, I am. Yes. Uh, uh, I, I started to do, I did a, recently I did a workshop, um, work, actually in the middle of it, doing, every Wednesday I'm doing a workshop for the New York Academy uh, where uh, I'm a, a, a senior critic and instructor. And so um, I, uh, uh, I have uh, a class that I do for them, uh, you know, where we're all doing self portraits uh-huh. um, since the majority of people only have themselves now to paint. And then uh, I also am doing privately private critiques uh, with people who want to, um, you know, show their work to me. And uh, either it could be a one-time critique where I give them, you know, um, a fresh eye or point of view, Um, or it could be an ongoing um, session of critiques where I could provide them with a, you know, challenge uh, or a project that they could work on over a period of time. Um, okay. And, uh, and so, you know, yeah, and it's been going well. We've, I've got people from all over really the world doing it with me. And it's, uh, it's been, uh, it, it's been an interesting challenge, not only, um, I think for those, those people participating, but I think for myself, because I, I think that when you, when you teach, you're not just, you're not just teaching others, but you're teaching yourself. Totally. hundred percent agree. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. where do people yeah. find out more about that? Can they go to your website? Do they email you directly? Uh, they could uh, they could find uh, uh, that information on my uh, web. Uh, not, not not so much. I don't think I have it on my website actually. I have it on uh, Facebook and Instagram right now. Oh, okay, perfect. And I'll, yes, I'll so they could go to my show notes too. Oh, thank you. They could go to my Instagram page and find my assistant there if you fill them in. Oh, uh, okay. That, perfect. That. Perfect. Yes. 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 Okay. My assistant is uh, Valerie. Duncan. Valerie Duncan. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. I'll include okay. all that in the show notes. Um, right, thank you. Thank you. And, Stephen, thank you for taking the time. I mean, again, I really appreciate it. Hello, 
Lo-Fi Sight and Sound podcast is an American artist living in Paris, France, in conversation with artists, musicians, and filmmakers discussing context, the creative process, and studio practice. You can find us on all streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also at www.lofipodcast.com, no hyphens. Please rate and review. It helps more than you know. If you can't rate and review, then please share this with a friend. Lo-Fi Podcast is recorded, mixed, and edited by myself. Intro music is also by me. Thank you for listening.